seven, Stan Phillips. Good morning, Met fans. Happy Friday, and what a happy Friday it is after yesterday's 5-3 win over the Dodgers. It included a shaky, slow start to the game, but the Mets prevailed, and that's what the Mets have been all season long. Persistent. Grinders. Getting the job done. They secured a series win, defeating the Dodgers Thursday afternoon at a rare 4 p.m. start at City Field. Now, making his first start off the injured list since August 4th, Clayton Kershaw looked rusty early. And the Mets took advantage by using a patient approach against the veteran lefty. Kershaw's command was spotty in the first inning, and the Mets worked three walks off of him, including one from Mark Hanha, that forced in the first run of the game. Kershaw walked in a run as a, is a rare sight as there is in baseball. The last time that occurred was in 2015. It was also the first time Kershaw walked three batters in innings since 2013. So we saw something yesterday rarely happens with Mr. Kershaw. Now the Dodgers made Chris Bassett work just as hard, forcing the righty to throw 43 pitchers over his first two innings. Dodgers loaded the bases in the second, and Chris Taylor delivered with a two-run single to right, putting the Dodgers ahead. Though Trace Thompson was thrown out by a mile at home plate. <clears throat> Make your point, as Bob Murphy would like to say, as the Dodgers looked to have some confusion on the base paths. After that rough first inning, Kershaw rounded into form. He was the old Clayton Kershaw. He retired 13 straight Mets to get through the fifth inning. Kershaw's day ended there as he allowed one earned run on just one hit, striking out six and walking three while throwing 74 pitches, 46 of them were for strikes. Bassett settled in well. He escaped the bases-loaded two-out jam in the sixth inning by getting, getting Gavin Lux to bounce out to first base. His command wasn't pristine, but he allowed just two earned runs over six innings of work, surrendering six hits with four strikeouts and three walks. With Kershaw out of the game, the Mets struck back against Chris Martin in the sixth. After a leadoff hustle single from Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor roped a double into left center gap, scoring Marte all the way from first. After Lindor stole third, Darren Ruff, who has had a tough go of it recently, drove a ball deep into left field corner that was caught on the track, but enough to score Lindor and put the Mets up 3-2. to two. The Mets tacked on two more runs in the seventh thanks to some poor Dodgers fundies, as Keith would like to say. After a two-out two James McCann double, Brandon Nimmo offered a routine fly ball to shallow right, but Lux and Mookie Betts both thought the other had it, and it dropped in for an RBI double. Next up, Marte roped a single to left, scoring Nimmo to make it a 5-2 game. Now, with the heart of the Dodger lineup doing the eighth inning, Showalter did something I really like. He brought in Edwin Diaz at the most critical point in the game. You don't always have to bring in the ace in the ninth inning, and he brought him in, in the eighth inning. Edwin walked the batter and hit another to put two runners on, so maybe he wasn't accustomed to the role. And the Dodgers hit a pair of deep fly balls to score a run, but Diaz got out of the inning with a luck strikeout. 
But Adam Adovino has been red hot lately. Came on the ninth, striking out two in an easy one, two, three inning. And there you had, as Meatwolf would like to say, two out of three ain't bad. And when you're playing the Dodgers, two out of three really isn't bad. So congrats to the Metropolitans on a big, big win yesterday. Now here are some of the audio highlights from yesterday's game. Enjoy. And it's too high ball four, and that forces a run. Three walks in the opening inning from Clayton Kershaw. You'll see that once in a blue moon. Floats one out to right toward the line comes Marte, and it drops for a base hit. In the score comes Turner. Luck's being waved home now. The throw coming in from Lindor, and now the third runner is tagged out. Thompson is out at the plate. And the curveball hit toward the middle of the diamond. Flag down by Lindor. The backhand flip. He got him. Oh, wow. With the pitch come hanging out of his hat, the backhand flip to McNeil, and they get bets on the force. Marta hanging in against Martin at one and two. And he hits a weak ground ball to the right side. Lux moves in. show any urgency against the speed of Marte, and Starling legs out an infield hit. Wow. And Lador cracks that one to right center field. Thompson won't get it. That goes up the gap and all the way to the wall. Marte digging for third. He's being waved home by Joey Cora. He will score without a throw, and it's time. Lador dancing off the bag. He's running. The throw to third by Smith, and Lador saves. to the back of the bag. Muncie was at the front of the bag, had to reach for Lindor. Right. He couldn't get there in time. And Daring gets a breaking ball, flies one deep down the left field line, back toward the corner goes Taylor. And he makes the catch. Lindor tags. He'll come in with a late run. And it's another one hard to left center field. This one's going to find some grass. gets the result with a two-out double. Wow. Nicely done. Demo pops one up in the shallow right. Looks retreating. That's gone. Oh, yeah. Miscommunication and it falls. And McCann scores. Wow. Marte swinging 3-0 and he rides a base hit. Here comes Demo around third. The throw by Taylor to the plate is too high.
Francisco Lindor. And the Mets take advantage of some Dodger mistakes to take the series from L.A. and win the season series four games to three and maybe anticipate another matchup with the Dodgers in late October. And there you have it. A big win for the Metsies. Way to go. Uh, you can't ask for more than one and two out of three against the Dodgers. And now the weekend party begins for Labor Day weekend with the Washington Nationals. Hopefully we can win that series. And like I said before in other previous podcasts, the month of September looks pretty good schedule-wise. Never take anything for granted. But it does look good for the Mets. And uh, the schedule is in favor of the Mets actually holding off Atlanta and uh, winning the division. But we'll see what happens. Uh, that's all we can do, right? But the one thing we have noticed this year is Francisco Lindor is one of those special, well-rounded players. The Mets got to Los Angeles Dodgers ace Clayton Kershaw early on Thursday at City Field, taking advantage of some rush shown by three-time Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw. Now, after all, Kershaw hadn't pitched since August 4th due to a lower back injury. But after surrendering three walks in the inning, which he hadn't done, as I mentioned before, since 2013, and walking in a run, which he hadn't done since 2015, Kershaw returned to form. And as soon as Dave Roberts and Dodgers turned things over to bullpen, though, the Mets took advantage, which is a good thing. Uh, they, they seized the opportunity to score two runs in the sixth and another two in the seventh to come away with the win. At the center of the action was Francisco Lindor. Lindor delivered a clutch RBI double in the sixth inning off a of Chris Martin, scoring, scoring excuse me, Starling Marte all the way from first base. Lindor then stole third and came in to score the go-ahead run on a Darren Ruff sack fly, and the Mets never looked back from there. Couple all that with an excellent defensive play to end the top of the fifth inning, which Lindor ranged up the middle and made a perfect flip to second base. And it was an all-around terrific afternoon for the Mets shortstop. He really does play both sides of the ball, and he has, he's good in all phases of the game. He's one of those special, well-rounded players that can beat you in any way. And that's the beauty of Lindor. It's not just his power, not just his defense, not just his baseball acumen and sensibilities that win the game. It's a combination of everything. Uh, and let's not forget, he was a platinum gold glove winner. And the more you watch him play, the more you realize the great plays he makes as a Met on a daily basis, especially like the play yesterday up the middle. And his play yesterday changed the game. Uh, the ball was a hit, and uh, Lindor was going to go to first base, and then it took a weird hop and took him to his left, and that's where he had no chance of turning and throwing it. So he just flipped it to Jeff McNeil. Now, with Thursday's win, the Mets took two or three from the Dodgers and four or seven in the season series. So hopefully that kind of outcome can prevail in October if and when we do meet the Dodgers in come playoff time. Now, when Dor didn't want to hype up the series win too much, he admitted it's big to beat the best team in baseball, record-wise. Uh, but it's better than losing the series, isn't it? Uh, and like I said, Mets look like they're playoff bound. Let's not kid, kid ourselves. And uh, it's going to be good. Things are going to be looking good. Now here's Francisco Dor with some post-game comments. I mean, it's big because we won two games, um, and they have the best record in the league. Uh, 
it's a big series. Um, we're just happy we ended up taking the, the series. What part of your game today was most satisfying to you? Defense. No, I like defense. Um, uh, it, was, it was that one play. I think it could have changed the game a little bit. Middle, you've had that the whole way. Yeah, hard. yeah. So when the ball was hit, uh, I was gonna go to first base. Then they took that little weird hop to my continue to go towards my left, and that's when I was like, I have no chance of throwing turning out. So I just flipped it as hard as I could to second base. Francisco, I know it's just seven games out of a long season, but you played the team with the best record in baseball seven times. You beat them four. Does that mean something specifically to you guys in, in the grand scheme of things? It means we played good baseball against them. Um, that's all it is. And hopefully we can make it to the postseason. And um, if we face them in the postseason, hopefully we can do the same thing. It was good. He executed. Um, first inning, uh, it's like a typical ace. They usually try to find their rhythm. Um, once he found his rhythm, he, he, he executed, he located, he did well. What was going through your mind when those two five balls off the ass? I was trying to bring him back in. Uh, I was like, please don't go. Yeah. But actually, I had a bat, a bat um, especially righty on righty, but he's normally accustomed to um, go left on right. And um, he, he did a good job. I thought it was a home run, too. That one actually went, uh, blew it out, but uh, I guess the win wasn't helping today. Enjoy tonight. I'm actually going to US, US Open. I'm going to enjoy my night with my beautiful girls and then come back tomorrow and beat whoever we have. What does it mean for you to, you know, both uh, have the game-tying RBI and score to go ahead run in a game like this? Feels good. Feels good. You know, I contribute. I feel like I played today. Um, feels good. So there you go, Frankie. You not only played today, you've been playing all year. And it's been a difference. And he is one of the reasons why we are in first place. Well, a lot of people have been asking, what's up with Mark Vientos? Now, when the Mets swung a pair of trades ahead of the deadline, it seemed that the DH situation was set for the remainder of the season. Lefty swinging Daniel Vogelbeck would get most of his starts at DH against right-handed pitchers, and righty swinger Darren Ruff would get most of his starts at DH against the left-handed pitchers. But while Vogelbeck has held up his end of the bargain, hitting 247, 385, 471, with four home runs, seven doubles, and 15 ribbies, and 104 plate appearances over 31 games as a Met, Ruff has not, albeit in a smaller, smaller sample size. In 41 plate appearances over 15 games, Ruff has hit 189, 244, 270 with three doubles. He has not yet hit a home run as a Met. His last homer came on July 24th while he was still a member of the San Francisco Giants. Ruff excelled against left-handed pitchers earlier this season playing for the Giants, so he could certainly turn things around. The early returns have not been good. This is where prospect Mark Vientos comes in, or at least where he should have come in. With Ruff struggling and rosters expanding from 26 players to 28 on September 1st, allowing the Mets to call up to Vientos without sending anyone else down, they should have promoted him ahead of Thursday's game against the Dodgers at City Field. Instead, the Mets chose to promote infielder Devin Marrero and right-handed pitcher Adonis Medina. The reason the Mets gave for promoting Marrero is the defensive versatility he provides over Vientos, who is used as more of a DH who can perhaps fill in at times at third base. If the Mets want more Marrero up for now as a backup infielder until Louis Guillaume returns, and that'll probably be in about a week, that's understandable. But New York also has Terrence Gore on the 28-man roster. 
And to be honest, it's really hard to see Goro hasn't gotten an at-bat in the majors since 2019. Pointing much, he could be a weapon as a pinch runner, but that's about it. Simply put, the Mets should have found a spot for Vientos right now at the expense of either Gore or the extra pitcher. That's because Vientos, 22, has been demolishing the ball in the minors for the last two seasons. And he would be able to serve as an immediate right-handed DH option and a pinch-hitting option for a team that should be more aggressive battling, batting for their catchers in big spots. This year for AAA Syracuse, Vientos is slashing 283, 361, 531, with 23 homers, 16 doubles, and 71 ribbies in 94 games. Last season for AA Binghamton and Syracuse, Vientos slashed 281, 352, 581, with 25 homers, 18 doubles, and 63 ribbies in 83 games. Now, strikeouts are a bit of an issue for Vientos, for Vientos, who has fanned 113 times this season. But with the amount of power he provides, his strikeout rate is more than acceptable. And Vientos' power has remained steady as the season has progressed, with him hitting six homers in May, six in June, six in July, and after a brief dry spell in August, crushing four homers since August 16th. If the Mets eventually decide to call Vientos, and it's fair to wonder just how much longer they could turn to Ruff at the short end of their DH platoon, he would very likely be used primarily as DH left-handers in a pitch-hitting option. While Vientos is a natural third baseman, the Mets' hair apparent there is Brett Beatty, whose regular season appears to be overdue to a thumb injury. And New York perhaps hinted that they would, might not be comfortable with Vientos at third base right now at the big league level by calling up Beatty before him, when Beatty had just a handful, a couple of bats above double-A compared to Vientos having roughly a full season there. It also helped that Beatty was a left-handed hitter. But what matters most, the most here is the most potential impact Vientos can have with the bat, especially against lefties. Against left-handers this season, Vientos has been an absolute monster, slashing 343, 411, 759 with 13 homers and 108 at-bats. It should be pointed out that Vientos has also held his own against right-handers this year, hitting 261, 343, 437 with 10 homers and 238 at-bats. Beatty didn't hit the cover off the ball after being promoted, but he wasn't overmatched. He had seven hits and 38 at-bats, including two home runs, while making solid contact and dealing with some bad luck on balls in play. His BABIP is just 179. Like Beatty, Vientos could be a big part of the Mets' future. And like Beatty, who filled in as a starter at third base when Eduardo Escobar was hurt, Vientos deserves a chance and would be fitting as an immediate need if called up. And there's really no good reason for the Mets to be doing Vientos' shot. So maybe we will see him, especially if Ruff continues to struggle. Now, one guy what we hope to see is Tyler McGill. And uh, he had his first rehab appearance, and he's back in throwing. And his first appearance was with A Binghamton last night, and he struck out the side in one inning of work. He came in to pitch the sixth inning and had his fastball up to 97 miles per hour, which is very encouraging to see. And he also threw his slider and changeup, getting two of his three strikeouts on the lighter pitch. Now, the other good news that come about, came about was Francisco Alvarez received good news on his right ankle. After being diagnosed with a loose body, the Mets announced 30, Thursday, I should say. The team said Alvarez will receive an injection today at the hospital for special surgery, with the tentative plan being for him to resume baseball activities in three to four days. His return to play will be dictated by his response to the injection in baseball activities. Alvarez was at City Field on Thursday since he was in the city to receive opinions on his ankle. 
He had been dealing with ankle soreness, and the last time he played was August 23rd. So hopefully all is going to be good with uh, Mr. V, uh, Alvarez. And hopefully we'll see Vientos up and McGill up, and things will look even better in Flushing by the Bay. Or as I like to say, God's country. Now, a lot of people are asking what the kind of year Jeff McNeil is having. Should he, he be moved up in the order? That, when you're hitting over 300 like that, it's a possibility. And I wouldn't discount the fact that maybe he should be in there. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens as time goes on. But with the season winding down, we have to start thinking about free agents and who will be moving and what's going on and the biggest one on our mind as Met fans is Jacob DeGrom. He's a potential opt-out who could crowd the free agent market. Now, even with NL MVP candidate Nolan Arenado planning not to opt out of his Cardinal deal, uh, people are saying he will stay a Cardinal. No less than six opt-outs and player options for stars will bolster a solid free agent list and make it special. So in addition to superstar free agents Aaron Judge and Trey Turner, Jacob DeGrom, who some believe will shoot to become the first $50 million player, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon, Carlos Correa, and Xander Bogarts, are expected to exercise their opt-outs to decline player options and make it one of the best free agent classes in recent memory. Most expect the Yankees to re-sign AL MVP Shuin Judge, even, Judge, even though there was a big gap in talks when they broke for the season. And it doesn't always work out the way we think or expect. You can see Freddie Freeman, who's now happy as a Dodger. As one rival GM put it, they have to keep him, don't they? We'd certainly think so. If Judge wasn't thrilled with the way his negotiation went, and he's done everything since to prove the $213.5 million seven-year offer, seemingly reasonable at the time, to be quite legit, then the ground was truly disappointed with his negotiation and subsequent deal, to the point he changed agents and consistently says he will opt out. Met owner Steve Cohen told the Post he wants to keep DeGrom, and you have to think he has that ability. DeGrom, like Judge, hasn't discussed his desires aloud, out loud, but some believe Mets writer Mike Puma may prove correct with his estimate will take $50 million or close to it to keep DeGrom in Queens. Though Judge sought about $36 million, according to sources, it's very likely his price has gone up. It seems odd the number is higher for semi-available DeGrom. Keep two things in mind. There's a scarcity of super elite pitchers and a belief they can have a greater effect on an October series, and his contract will be shorter. Verlander, who technically has a player option at $25 million, is sure to turn that deal into a steep raise and a probable multi-year deal. Verlander has profited doing short deals and will profit again by agreeing to change his originally $50 million two-year deal to his $25 million one-year deal with a player option that triggered at 130 innings. Verlander to Grom, even if it doesn't hit the 50 million mark will benefit from the obvious comp of Max Scherber's record $43.33 million salary and are likely to make it three starters at the top of the leaderboard. And Scherzer says he hopes that someone beats his salary. Big time shortstops will once again be at the free agent forefront with Correa and Bogart's likely joining Turner and Dansby Swanson. What a core of shortstops, huh? Free agent shortstop stole, stole the show last one with Corey Seager winning the winter with his monster $325 million deal. Turner balked originally at going to L.A. to play second base, but he's thrived there. And told the Post this week, I love it. It's probably the best organization in baseball considering everything. The way they treat the players, the fan base, the city. 
Who knows what will happen, but it's been great being a part of this. Turner is a team first guy who appreciates the Dodgers' unreal 90-39 record. But he's also a family first, and Dodgers folks wonder if he might bow to the wishes of his Floridian family. In any case, they will give it a shot. They didn't talk preliminary about it preliminary about a contract after Turner told them he wanted to concentrate on baseball in the season, but made no official offer. I told them if they wanted to do something, we should try to get it done in spring training, Turner said. During the season, I want to focus on baseball. I owe it to the team and to the fans. Swanson's in the opposite situation, playing for his hometown team, with the Braves surely looking for a hometown discount. Bogarts was said to be insulted by Boston, only offering to tack on one more year at the below market rate of $20 million after he took the home team discount first. The first time around, Career said he'd love to stay with the Twins, but it's hard to see him not turning his situation into a long-term one somewhere after he passed up $275 million last year with the Tigers. Anthony Rizzo is also likely to opt out of his $16 million deal with one year left, joining a free agent market that also includes Wilson Contreras, Josh Bell, Edwin Diaz, Taiwan Walker, Brandon Nimmo, Kenley Jansen, Jose Abreu, Chris Bassett, Noah Syndergaard, and Adam Wainwright. And that's if Wainwright wants to come back at age 41. The way he's going, you know he could do it. So could Albert Pujols, though he said that's it for him. So it's going to be one hell of an offseason, isn't it, for baseball? Woo! Oh, my. But the one thing we have to do is win this year. And we'll worry about the free agents later on in the year. Uh, and we got a taste of what the playoffs may be with this three-game series against the Dodgers. And it was a playoff vibe throughout the whole thing. Now, it's great that the Mets beat the Dodgers in the series, but come playoff time, anything can happen. In any given series, any team can win. Let's not forget 1988 when the Mets had a 10-1 season advantage over the Dodgers, not scored them 49-18, to and then lost the NLCS in 88 to the Dodgers. So you don't want to be Captain Obvious here because those games were fun, the crowds were large, and the passion exceeded that of the normal regular season games these past three days. But are we putting too much attention and implication out of these seven games? The stakes aren't there. They're big games. It's good to beat your rivals. They feel big, but the stakes just aren't there. When you play long enough, you know it's different when your season is on the line. And we'll have to wait to see what happens come October. It's definitely a different vibe. Uh, sometimes when you get to Game 7 and face a win-or-go-home situation, there's nothing like it. Not even any other game in a series. Uh, but they did get a taste of the anxiety, the nerves, and the butterflies, I'm sure. Uh, Dodgers, they're the class of the league, but they've lost some good pitching, so it'll be interesting how they deal with their setbacks the rest of the way. The Dodgers did play their A lineup almost the whole series, so the Mets did well against them. And uh, you have to be proud of what they did. Bassett settled down after a difficult set, second inning aided by bad base running by Lux and poor third base coaching by Dino Yabel and blocked out a more than six-minute delay with two outs in the third inning when there's an argument about when and whether the stadium light should be on to hold the Dodgers two runs in six innings. Max Muncy and Justin Turner came within a few feet of each hitting three-run homers off Edwin Diaz the other night, so... Uh, baseball is a fickle game, but I'm not complaining at all. We won, 
But let's not get too cocky. Let's savor the moment. We did what we had to do, and that's what was presented in front of us. And I just see us doing well the rest of the year. Okay, now it's time for a shameless plug of this podcast. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe. We try to put one up every day for your net listening needs. So please do subscribe with your favorite character, uh, carrier, I should say, or character. And you'll be alerted every time one is uploaded. And as always, we do a trivia and a Jeopardy question of the day on the site. So let's roll with it, shall we? Today's Mets Jeopardy clue. Two clues as always. Traded with David Cohn by the Kansas City Royals to New York Mets in exchange for Ed Hearn, Rick Anderson, and Mauro Gozo on March 27, 1987. He wore number 46 as a Met. And today's trivia question. Who led the Mets in hits in 1986? Lock in your answers and we'll be back at the end of the podcast to tell you how you did. Now let's touch on some of the other things we talked about on the podcast. As always, Mike Freed, I mean, on the, in the group site where we uh, talk everything. And Mike Freed always gives his spot-on analysis. And he really nailed yesterday's game uh, with a great summary of what happened. So you'll want to check that out. Uh, we also gave you some great stats on this group site. Like Jacob DeGromer, his 81st save with his win the other night, and that tied him with David Cohn for the 8th most in Met history. And then we said, do you agree with the Mets' decision to retire Willie Mays' number? Well, it was unanimous. 100% of the group said, yes, Willie should be retired. And how about Mark Khanna? He has recorded 12 extra base hits and 40 at-bats over his last 13 games. Now, who else has done that in Met history? John Stearns, Mike Piazza, Carlos Delgado, Lucas Duda, and Mark Hanna. Then we also know that over his last 96 starts, dating back to the start of the 2018 season, Jacob DeGrom is close to the 1.95 ERA. The only other starting pitchers to have a 96-game span with an ERA of 1.95 or lower in the live ball era are Clayton Kershaw, Greg Maddox, and Sandy Koufax. Now, how about Mr. Clutch, starring Marte? 16 home runs this season he has hit, and he has either tied the game or put the Mets ahead with a home run. Amazing. And how about the most starts by a Met pitcher of no more than one earned run allowed? Well, Tommy Terrific leads the way with 152, Jerry Kuzman 114, and Jacob DeGrom 109. How about this stat to blow your mind? Jacob DeGrom has 55 strikeouts and just three walks in his first six starts of 2022. And how about this? The fastest record, pitcher to record 100 strikeouts in Met history? Why, now it's Edwin Diaz, who did it this year in just 51.2 innings, breaking the old mark of Armando Benitez, who did it in 60 innings in 1999. And how about the most nine strikeouts, no more than one walk starts by a Met pitcher in their career? Tom Seaver leads the way with 52, and Jacob DeGrom with 35. And how about this? Pitchers with at least five consecutive starts of nine-plus strikeouts and no more than one walk allowed. Jacob DeGrom is now tied for third in that with Johan Santana and Justin Verlander with five. Corbin Burns is the all-time leader with seven with 2021. Now, over his last 21 starts, dating back to the start of the 2021 season, Jacob DeGrom has combined for a .553 whip. 
That's the lowest whip by a starting pitcher in any 21-game span since 1901. That is amazing. Now about the most nine strikeout games by a pitcher in his first 204 career games. That goes to Jacob DeGrom with 80, followed by Hugh Darvish, 73, Randy Johnson, 71, and Nolan Ryan, 69. Woof! A lot of good stats there, and it shows you how good the Mets players have been this year, especially Jacob DeGrom with his return. Now let's go and lock in that trivia and Jeopardy like we said we would and give you the answers. Again, the trivia question was, who led the Mets in hits in 1986? Well, the correct answer is Keith Hernandez, 171. Congrats to our good buddy John Tierney on getting that one right in the group. And how about the two clues for Jeopardy? Traded with David Cohn by the Kansas City Royals to New York Mets in exchange for Ed Hearn, Rick Anderson, and Mauro Guzzo on March 27, 1987. And he wore number 46 as a Met. The correct response is, who is Chris Jellick? And yes, our resident Met expert, John Tierney, got that one right too. Congrats on winning the board, John. Job well done. And that's going to conclude today's podcast. Hope all you guys enjoyed it. Uh, tonight, don't forget, we've been the big Labor Day weekend series against the Nationals. Big? Every game's big. That's why I call it big. I know the Nationals aren't much of a challenge, but you can't take them for granted. They're 45 and 86, and we're practically the opposite. Uh, we're 84 and 48, and they'll have Jose Gray going for them. 7 and 8 with a 4.67 ERA. We'll have David Peterson, 7 and 3 with a 3.21 ERA uh, going for the Metropolitans. That game is on SNY, and the game starts at 7:10. Check it out; should be a good one. And let's go Mets! Check back tomorrow for another great podcast. And thanks again for all your support. Meet the Mets! Meet the Mets! Step right up and greet the Mets! Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Step right up and greet the Mets.